Um, very excited to be here on Mother's Day. Uh, yeah, Mother's Day's felt sort of extra special to me this year, in part, uh, it's been a long two years for all of us, uh, but I, th- I think especially for mothers. Um, this instinct that God has given to mothers, this calling, this responsibility uh, to care for, protect children, this instinct I think has been assaulted in uh, such a real and visceral way over the last two years. So I just, I really today want to celebrate uh, mothers and um, thank you for uh, reflecting God's love in the world. Um, The real threat of the virus, the real threat of social isolation, developmental stunting, all those things real. And then, of course, the sort of added on top of that, whether media, politicians or whatever, just sort of pressing those buttons that I think for moms are extra. Um, uh, There's just been a lot (laughs) put on you. So uh, just from my heart to yours, I just want to say thank you for fighting the good fight and continuing to to live out your calling in the world as mothers. it's been so special to watch, uh, for me, all the moms who have just been so brave uh, during this time. So well done. I'm with you. Uh, we thank God for empowering you in a very special way uh, over these last two years. So I know it's not, it never ends. <laughs> That's the thing about being a mother. It never ends. So uh, we'll continue to be with you in this. And so I hope today's message, so I decided I wanted to just preach a special Mother's Day message. I don't do this every year. Uh, but I just felt like this, this year, uh, it's, we've just been through so much the last two years. So I just wanted to pray a special message. So today we're going to talk about motherly love. Uh, I'm going to talk about what is motherly love, who has and possesses motherly love, and then what motherly love produces. Now, uh, one big caveat before we get started, um, and I'll say this as we go along, particularly in point number two. But one, one big caveat I just want to make clear up front. Um, motherly love is not restricted to just those who are biological mothers. Um, motherly love is a spiritual reality. And therefore, everyone, one will say, created in the image of God, has capacity for motherly love. And those who are infused by the indwelling spirit of God have a particular ability to access and a calling to live out motherly love in the world. So that'll become more clear as we talk. But I just want to make that very clear. This is not just a message for those few at Sedaris who have their own children, but for all of us to be able to recognize and understand when we see motherly love enacted in the world. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and pray now uh, for our time of teaching, and then we'll get into it a little bit more. Hey, Josh, while I'm praying, it feels a little tingy to me. There seems to be a little bit of an echo. Um, So maybe just as I'm praying, (laughs) the Spirit will remove the echo in my ear. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you for who you are, first and foremost, for who you've created us to be through your creative act, the way that you have bestowed upon us your very image, and therefore we might reflect in the world who you are, including the way you love in these unique motherly ways to us. And so, God, I would just pray now, wherever our heart is at in this moment, um, that you would soften it by your love, that you would open us up to the things that you have prepared and planned for us today, God. And And we know that you've connected yourself to us, and so you're here in this room. Would you just make that abundantly clear uh, to all my friends, uh, that you are here, that you have not remained distant and far off, but you've come close to us, and that we can know you. We can know you like a child knows its mother. This morning, through your word, through the worship of who you are, and through this community. And so we just praise you and thank you for the privilege of getting to be in this place on this morning to hear this word preached. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, so point number one. Now, I promised my mother, she said, the one gift I want from you this morning, Dave, for Mother's Day 
is a short sermon. <laughs> okay, so I just want you to know I'm getting it in my ear all the time. So you don't need to tell me. I know I preach long. Okay, so that, that, that. Okay, so here we go, Mom. I'm working at it. Okay, here we go. Okay, so Genesis 1.27. Genesis 1.27, if you've got a copy of Scripture, first book of the Bible, first chapter. Um, so this is the first thing God wants us to know about his world. Genesis 1.27, what's it say? It says, so God created man, that's mankind, humankind, in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. So there's something very important to know that um, godness is also womanness. So from the very jump, God wants us to know that he created us, mankind, in his image, which is men and women. So both men and women are created in the image of God. So that means the peculiarities. Men and women are not exactly the same. There's a lot of overlap, but there are unique things. So the womanness of God's creation also reflects something unique to the world. So you can't know who God is if you lived on a planet with all men. You'd miss it. This triune God, so, so if you looked in the Hebrew, it says, so God created them his own image, he created them. There's this plural nature to the he there that's not drawn out, but God, the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, that we come to know later as Revelation progresses, but this community, which is one God and three persons, decides to create beings on this earth in his image. And so there's this duality that comes together to image God. It's the feminine and it's the masculine, and these are different. They're different energies, they're different uh, uh, particularities and qualities that come together to image who God is in the world. They're unique, not utterly different, but they are expressions of the fullness of who God is. And in, the Apostle John tells us God is love. So if there's like a feminine love and a masculine love, if there's a male and female, if there's fathers, if there's mothers, it's to say that there is this duality, this dual nature to love, which is fatherly love. Yes, we see that in Scripture, but also motherly love. So God, who is love, is in the fullness of that love both a father and a mother. He has fatherly love and motherly love that he expresses in the world. You say, you know, can we see that in Scripture anywhere? Because we've tended to see kind of the fatherly love, God the Father, and that's true. That's how he self-identifies God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So look with me at Isaiah 66, 13. We'll have it on the screen up here. It says this. This is God speaking to the people of Israel through the prophet Isaiah. He says, as one... Whom his mother comforts, so I, God, will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. Clearly, God is personifying himself here with motherly love and affection. Josh, I still got a little bit of echo here in my ear. So, um, so that's one place we see it. Isaiah 46.3 says this. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel, who have, born, who have been born by me from before your birth, carried from the womb. So here, you see, he's sort of showing himself the motherly love of bearing children into the world. Isaiah 49, 15 says this. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget. Even these human mothers may forget the son that they nursed. Yet I, God, will not forget you. Here again, God clearly identifying with the motherly love that is so evident in the world. So God is love in all forms, including motherly love. Now, what is this love, or what, what uh, distinguishes it or makes it unique from, say, fatherly love or other types of love that we might experience in the world? What is, what is this act of motherhood? 
this act of motherly love. I want to say and, and hypothesize. Now, you say, like, why is this non-mother up here talking about motherly love? I've seen it a lot, okay? I've got two sisters. I've got a wonderful mother. My grandmother, we just celebrated her 90th birthday, and she personified motherly love. 85% of my cousins are females. <laughs> I've just, by the grace of God, got to see lots of great examples of motherly love in the world. And so I'm no expert, but I'm a witness. So if you disagree with anything I'm saying about motherly love, that, uh, it's okay. But this is what I've witnessed. Okay, so motherly love or motherhood, it's, the, it's two things. It's the act of creation and care. Creation and care. Let me explain. Think about pregnancy. What is pregnancy? Pregnancy is the process of creation, is it not? The process of creation. And who is the creator? God is the creator. So in this way, partnering with the creation process, as a mother must do, is to reflect God's image in the world. But the mother has a unique role in the creation process. Think about it. Think about what the mother's role in the creation process is. Is it active or is it passive? It's passive, right? So in that sense, it's participatory. God is still the creator. He is the one, Scripture says, that is mending us together and knitting us together in our mother's womb. He's the active participant, but he cannot do it without the participation of the mother. So the mother partners with God in the act of creation itself, and in this way is reflecting God's character, particularly his character of motherly love in the world. She allows herself to be transformed, to give herself up to the process of creation that God is doing in the world. This is a part of motherly love. And it's unique. It's a unique role in our partnership with God. This partnership in creation that we see so clearly in pregnancy. And it helps us nuance what, what is unique about the motherly part of God's love. Now, thinking about pregnancy, think of the dynamics at play, because I think this is an also a part that makes motherly love so unique in the world. Uh, there's, this th there's this dynamic of vulnerability and power that play together in the act of pregnancy. When you allow yourself to be used by God in this creation process, the creation of a new child, you are, by definition, becoming or stepping into that vulnerability so that God's creative power can flow through you. You are to say, an instrument now for God's glory in the world. He blows the wind through the pipe and music is made. You see that? But it's, it's necessarily vulnerable to allow yourself to be used by God in this way to express his glory in the world to multiply his image in the world. So there's this dynamic of God's power and a mother's vulnerability that work together for something far transcendent to what they could do on their own. This is a part of motherly love. This vulnerability is terrifying. It's scary. As Ty said, it instills fear as it should. And so to step into that is, is truly an act of bravery. I've mentioned this before. I always tell my son Grayson, like, it's okay to be afraid. Bravery is to step forward in the face of fear. And this is what every mother does when she says, yes, God, I'll allow you to use my body to create more image bearers in the world. I, I was reminded of this. I was watching a documentary about the, great, the greatest of all time female tennis player, Serena Williams. Serena Williams is just by definition probably the strongest woman in the world. And she's an incredible athlete. She's an incredible woman. In fact, she became pregnant a few years ago 
with her first child, and she won the Australian Open, which is one of the four major tennis tournaments in the world, while she was pregnant in the first trimester. That's incredible, okay? If, you've, if, you, if you have ever been around somebody that's in the first trimester of their pregnancy, she won the, one of the hardest tennis tournaments to ever win. So she is a strong woman. And in this documentary, it's called Being Serena. Um, it's incredible to watch her wrestle with this. She's had this identity as strong and independent um, and successful as an athlete with her body meaning she has control over the conditioning and what her body does, and to be a great athlete means to be in total control of your body. The, the better you can control your body as opposed to other athletes, the more you win, and she's won more tennis tournaments than anyone in the history. So she, by definition, has most control of her body. Now, what did she do when she said, with her partner, said, I want to have a child? She gave up the autonomy, the control of her body, of her career is now in jeopardy, of her future. She gives that up. She becomes vulnerable to participate in the creation process, the creative process of God. Now, what's crazy is she almost died. She is prone to blood clots. She had to have a C-section. And she almost died because she stepped into the vulnerability of motherhood, of pregnancy, of letting God's creative power work through her. The strongest woman in the world, the greatest tennis player that ever lived, perhaps the greatest female athlete that's ever lived, stepped into that vulnerability. And I think she would say, and she does in the documentary, perhaps the bravest thing she's ever done. And so just as in creation we see this motherly love, we also see it then in this care aspect, which is motherly love, which in the same way is surrendering your autonomy in order to care for those who God has put in your trust. And the same dynamics, the same vulnerability, exists so that God might work through you his power to raise up children. I watch Allie, my wife, do this so well, the way she cares so beautifully for our children, how vulnerable she becomes, how much control she has to give up to nurture, protect our boys. And when I watch her, I see God's love so clearly. I wouldn't see it if I haven't watched her mother. So let me try to give us a working definition then of what we might say motherly love is. Now this could be, a, a, this may end up being a great definition for all love that God is, but I think particularly nuanced with this aspect of motherly love. So here we go. You might define motherly love in particular like this. The choice to surrender ultimate personal freedom for the benefit of of another being. I'll say it again. The choice to surrender ultimate personal freedom for the benefit of another being. Now, as I wrote this definition, I had it on the paper and then I said, wait, I think I need to add one word. And I purposely didn't put it in the definition because I wanted to pull this word out so you could see it. Say, why would I have to add this word? I think ultimate motherly love adds this word. Not to say that all acts of motherly love include this idea, but I think ultimate motherly love, that love which is most rooted in the character and nature of God, has this. And that word is eternal. And, it, and you put it right before, so if you're taking notes, put it right before, carried it into, right before benefit. The eternal benefit of another being. So, if you add that, here's the definition. The choice to surrender ultimate personal freedom for the eternal benefit of another being. And I think it's important for us as, if you're a follower of Jesus, to understand 
that this is ultimately where motherly love is, is pushing and driving. Not just for the temporal, the momentary benefit, though that's a part of it. But as a mother, am I thinking about the eternal benefit of my children? It'll change the way you parent at age one, at age three, at age six, at age 18. Am I thinking about the eternal benefit of my children? Then it's truly a love like God's love. Which is to say, God doesn't always give us everything that obviously would be for our benefit now. At times, he holds back because he has our eternal benefit in mind. And I think great mothering and the expression of motherly love always includes the eternal perspective. So now, let's take our definition of motherly love and then see if we can apply it in meaningful ways to God himself. Otherwise, I think it's a false definition because all love flows from God. And so if we can't apply it to God in the way he loves us, then we've missed the mark. So let's see. Has God loved us in this way? Has God chosen to give up, to surrender ultimate personal freedom for our eternal benefit? First thing, I think we see this is in God's eternal election of his people, first in the people of Israel, like we read about, and then in all of God's people who come to be God's people through faith in Jesus Christ. God has said, I am making a covenant with my people, which is an unbreakable, one-sided agreement that God says, I will never stop being your people no matter how frustrating you become. No matter how much you deny my love, I will keep loving you. That sounds a lot like motherly love to me. The choice to say, I will be your God no matter what, forever. I can never stop being your God. I think that's an expression of motherly love. Let's look at God the sons. Second person of the Trinity. His choice to clothe himself in humanity. God's choice to clothe himself in humanity, the scriptures tell us. That he put on humanity, which is essentially to give up certain benefits and freedoms of being God. He put it on for us. And, and this humanity that God has put on in the person of Jesus Christ doesn't just last for the 33 years of Jesus' earthly ministry, we studied this when we studied the Ascension two weeks ago. This is a forever. This is a forever surrender. And God is forever connected to humanity. Through the putting on of flesh and blood and becoming human. So there's no, there's no Nordstrom's up there in heaven. There's no return policy. <laughs> That's just like, bring it back, even if you didn't buy it here. No, you can't take it back, particularly once it's been stained by the blood of Calvary. You can't bring it back. God is forever connected himself eternally to humanity, not for his benefit, but for ours. So then we look at the cross, and we see this amazing picture of this God surrendering his very life for his children. And the best um, picture of that we have is actually in Matthew 23. Jesus' own words, he talks about this. And probably when he spoke these words, his disciples did not even know what he was talking about. He uses this analogy, as we'll read about it, about being like a mother hen. And they're probably like, what are you talking about mother hens for? What does this have to do with anything? We come to see his outstretched arms on the cross, and now the analogy becomes much more vivid. So let me read that to you and make a few comments. Matthew 23, verse 27 says this. This is Jesus crying out, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I have wanted to gather your children together as a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you, you 
We're not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, a few comments just on first glance. And then I'll tell you I think there's a deeper meaning here. On first glance, there's something just to be amazed out. Jesus is doing something here which would be called public lament or public mourning. This is the form that he uses, and it's intentional. Um, the people in ancient Israel, and at this time, who were the primary public mourners and lamenters, the town criers, you could call them, were most often the women of the community. In fact, there were professional mourners whose job it was was to mourn and lament publicly the evil, the sin, the injustice that they saw. And so Jesus is very clearly aligning himself with that feminine energy and saying, I too am a public mourner for the people of Israel. So that's the first thing. The second thing is just on the face of it, it's the idea of Jesus saying, I am like a, a hen, which is to say a mother hen. There's no other kind of hen. <laughs> There's a mother hen. That's what he's saying. I am like a mother who wants to gather all of her chicks into the safety and protection and care of the mother's wings. Now, what I think is, and you may have heard me mention this before, the deeper meaning of this passage that probably no one would quite have understood till after his death is that in that part of the world, um, it was very common, kind of like we've saw, seen recently in Denver, these flash fires that just sweep through the valleys and just burn, very dry uh, heat there, and it just burns up, just huge swaths. And so a farmer would, uh, it was known that farmers would go out into their fields after a flash fire would come and, and destroy a whole crop. And what they would find is these little mounds of ash, you know, Maybe, maybe like, you know, a foot or so off the ground. And it was very curious, what are, what are these mounds of ash? Like, what exactly happened? And so they'd walk up to it, and they'd begin to poke the mounds of ash with a stick. And all of a sudden, they heard a... What is... There it is in the back. What's that? What is that? So they'd move the ash away, and then all of a sudden, they realized there's baby chicks that start to come out of the ashes. I said, well, what happened here? And what they realized what happened is that as the fire comes sweeping across the valley, there's not time to get out of the way. The mother hen would actually gather her chicks up underneath her wings, cover over the chicks, and the fire would burn over the top, killing the mother, but bringing life to all those who came under the safety of her arms. So Jesus is saying, this is why I long for you to come under my arms, which of course now we know were stretched wide on the cross of Calvary. And he said, anyone who comes to me and gathers under my wings, I will take upon the wrath due for sin and evil and injustice in the world. Take it on myself, allowing myself to die so that you might live. This is motherly love, Jesus is saying. I endure the cross. I love that word, endure. The motherly love endures all things so that her children might have love. That's motherly love. To endure all things. To absorb all things. To take on all things so that those she loves might live. Hebrews 12, 2 says this. I'm just going to read it. Just listen to these words. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. This is love. 
And it's unavoidably infused with this motherly love. Jesus makes clear, Matthew 23. Finally, I think we see this kind of motherly love in the sending of the Spirit. Scripture tells us that for all who come and receive the gift of faith, they also receive the Spirit of God who indwells them eternally. Meaning once you have the Spirit, you don't lose the Spirit. Now you can turn the Spirit off and lock the Spirit in the closet and away in your heart so it might feel like you don't have the Spirit. But once you've received the Spirit, you have the Spirit for all time, which is to what? God has chosen to send the Spirit to give up the autonomy and freedom that he possessed in his eternal dwelling. He has chosen to send the Spirit to be forever attached to those who follow him for their eternal benefit, both now and forevermore. It's an incredible promise. It's an incredible gift. And knowing the way that I've treated God and this gift, of course it grieves God's heart to have sent that gift and for it not to be used, appreciated, enjoyed. But this is the work of motherly love. So here's the big idea. We need the metaphor of motherhood in order to understand who God is. And we need to experience and understand motherly love in order to understand God's love. Perhaps you grew up in an environment where only the fatherly love of God was was ever talked about. And the motherly love of God was discounted or not expressed or not connected to God himself, which is, as we saw in Genesis 27, ridiculous. All love comes from God. And so today I just want to say, today's like every day. Today's God's day. So why do I love Mother's Day? Because it's God's day. Today, as we reflect upon mothers and motherly love, we are actually reflecting upon God and God's love. So thank you, Hallmark, for the nudge (laughs) to stop and talk about this amazing particular type of love that comes only from God. This is motherly love. Amazing. So, who possesses motherly love? Who possesses it? Well, I've hinted at it already, but I believe all human beings created in the image of God, which includes women and men, possess, have access to, should use motherly love in the world. Now, I say that, and I just I hope it's obvious. <laughs> Maybe it's not. But this doesn't mean motherly love is e- as easily accessible to all of us, myself, first and foremost, as others. For many, particularly those of you who are females, this is more natural for you. You have this access to this more abundantly. But men possess it also and should work towards growing their capacities for the expression of this kind of love. We don't just get to say, men... Well, that's just what the mothers do. No. This is part of what it means to be like God, to be like Christ. And so we should seek and ask God to give us more capacity to love like mothers love. So what you'll see, and you probably realize this, not every marriage is exactly the same, right? (laughs) In every marriage, there's a partnership of parents, and God's design is, perfect design is Hopefully that each child has a father and a mother, and they'll in some way have some combination of father and motherly love, and it'll look different in each family. That's just obvious if you like know more than three people <laughs> in the world, okay? And God wants us to live out those responsibilities and roles in those partnerships, but obviously those partnerships aren't always perfect. We live in a fallen, a broken world, so there's not a prescription here, but to be aware of how 
this plays out, and the need for this is so important in every parenting partnership, where it's, I think it's obvious that the primary motherly love instinct is in the mothers, and the primary fatherly love instinct is the fathers, but we have to talk and figure it out and work together at how do we express the fullness of God's love to our children so that we might not misrepresent God's love to them. Now, obviously, there's other examples of this being broken in the world, where 25% of moms are solo moms. Solo moms are perhaps the most amazing human beings in all the world, in my opinion, Uh, because when you have kids and you realize some people are trying to do this by themselves, it absolutely shocks you. It's amazing. And so obviously solo moms are needing to, and God, I think, if, if, if you allow him to, can give a solo mom an abundance of fatherly love as well to express to the children. But there's also solo dads. About 7% of all uh, parenting households in, in, in the country are solo dads. So solo dads, does that mean your house is devoid of motherly love? Of course not. Pray and God will give you access to his love and this abundance to overcome the brokenness of the world. God will do that. He loves your children and he wants to do that for you. That's not his intended design. That's not his hope that there would be broken marriages or, or parent, one parent would die young. Or It's not his hope. It's not his desire. But he will give you what you need in order to express the fullness of his love to children so that they might grow up in knowing who God really is, the fullness of his love. So, um, men and women both can possess and and should express motherly love in the world. But it's not just for men and women who are parents. Also, those who are not biological parents or adopted parents also have the gift of and should express and do express motherly love in the world. Mother Teresa comes to mind. How do you get a a nickname like Mother? (laughs) Well... That's not what they call everyone in the Catholic Church who's a nun. It's because she expressed motherly love to the motherless of Calcutta in such a way that you couldn't help but say, that's motherly love. Many of you know Kathy Giske, who I went on my uh, mission trip to Greece with. Never had biological children of her own, but for those of you who know her, she is the most motherly (laughs) motherly loving person that you could meet. Her heavenly home will be bustling with spiritual children. She has expressed this part of God's love in the world. She's taken me on (laughs) as one of her spiritual children and loved me in a way that expresses God's love. Amazing, amazing disciple of Jesus. So just think of our definition now. Anyone who, like Jesus, chooses to surrender ultimate personal freedom for the eternal benefit of another being is expressing motherly love. Period. Any disciple of Jesus who chooses to surrender ultimate freedom, personal freedom for the eternal benefit of another being is expressing motherly love. So who possesses motherly love? The answer is anyone who chooses to tap in to the very nature and character of God. Anyone who surrenders their ultimate freedom, who surrenders or gives up or gifts their body, their time, their thoughts, their worrylessness, their privacy, their ability to control outcomes for the benefit of another. This is motherly love. You might say it like this. Anyone who allows themselves to be truly and irreversibly connected to another being is thus expressing motherly love. Remember with pregnancy? There's something unique about motherly love that is to connect to another in such a way that your very life becomes at risk for the benefit of their life. That's motherly love. So if you're doing that, If you've connected with a brother or sister in Christ, a friend, 
and you're connected in such a way that if they get hurt, you get hurt, that's motherly love. Now, of course, we see that so beautifully in the moms of this church, but we see it in so many other people as well. It's motherly love. Number three, what does motherly love produce? 2 Timothy 1, 3, 2, 5 says this, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. This is the Apostle Paul speaking to his spiritual child. Paul had no biological children. To his spiritual son, Timothy, who he sent out that kept the mission of Jesus going. He's writing to him, and, and this is what he says. I remember your tears. I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, Louise, and then your mother, Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. Oh, you see that? That eternal mark that is placed on Timothy because of his grandmother's faith leading to his mother's faith to his faith? Unbelievable. So what does motherly love produce? It produces a generational fruit and beauty that is unbelievable and unreplicable in this world. That's what, a mother, that's what motherly love produces. And I found this amazing uh, little resource in the library uh, this week, Seattle Pacific University Library, thank you. I found a pamphlet written in 1833, entitled The Principles of Maternal Duty. Unbelievable. 1833, written by Reverend John S.C. Abbott of Worcester, Massachusetts. Thank you, John Abbott, for writing about the beauty of motherhood. And he said this in his preface. He said, Some persons may object to the minuteness of detail or the familiarity of illustrations occasionally introduced. And he does get very detailed about <laughs> the duty of mothers. But he says this, We, however, are persuaded that this objection will not be made by mothers. Education consists in attention to the little things. And all the mothers said, yes. It's the attention to the little things that's a part of motherly love. And what does it produce? He goes on to say, some amazing things and give some amazing examples of what motherly love could produce. I just want to read you a little bit. A few years ago, he writes, some gentlemen who were associated in preparing for the ministry felt interested in ascertaining what proportion of their numbers had pious mothers. So these are guys preparing to be pastors. And it says, he says this, they were greatly surprised and delighted in finding that out of the 120 students, over 100 of them had been born by mothers of prayer meaning their mothers were praying moms, and directed by a mother's counsel to the Savior. Though some of these had broken away, some of these men who are now preparing for ordination, had broken away from all the restraints of home, and like the prodigal, had wandered in sin and sorrow, yet they could not forget the impressions of childhood and were eventually brought to the Savior to be a mother's joy and blessing. Many interesting facts have, within a few years, drawn the attention of Christians to the subject. The efforts which a mother makes for the improvement of her child in knowledge and virtue are necessarily retired and unobtrusive. The world knows not of them, and hence the world has been slow to perceive how powerful and extensive is the secret of silence, silent influence." But circumstances are now directing the eyes of the community to the nursery. <laughs> and the truth is daily coming more distinctly before the public. That the influence which is exerted upon the mind during the first eight or ten years of existence in a great degree guides the destinies of that mind for time and eternity. And as the mother is the guardian and guide of the early years of life, from her goes the most powerful influence in the formation of the character of man. Whoa! True in 1833. True today. What is often unseen 
will one day be seen by the work of the mothers in this room. He goes on to give a great deal of accolades to George Washington's mother. (laughs) Okay, so we're not far from George Washington when he's writing this, and he says if she wasn't a great mother, uh, George would have a dishonored grave, and he probably would have been a tyrant, and we'd probably be in the same problem as Britain. But we aren't, thanks to who? The mother, he says. And then he goes on to talk about a few more uh, individuals, and I'll read you one. The history of John Newton. Do you know John Newton? The great author of Amazing Grace great song that has stirred the affections of so many people towards Jesus Christ. He says this, the history of John Newton is often mentioned as proof of the deep and lasting impression which a mother uh, may produce upon the mind of her child. He had a pious mother. She often retired to her closet and placing her hand upon his youthful head, implored God's blessing upon her boy. These prayers and instructions sunk deep into his heart. He could not but revere that mother. He could not but feel that there was a holiness in such a character demanding reverence and love. He could not tear from his heart in afterlife the impressions then produced. Now, if you know the story of John Newton, it wasn't always rosy. Though he became a wicked wanderer, though he forsook friends and home and every virtue, The remembrance of a mother's prayers, like a guardian angel, followed him wherever he went. He mingled in the most dissipated and disgraceful scenes of a sailor's life. He was a sailor. And while surrendered with guilty associates in midnight revelry, he would fancy he felt the soft hand of his mother upon his head, pleading with God to forgive and bless her boy. He went to the coast of Africa and became even more degraded than the savages upon her dreary shores. But the soft hand of his mother was still upon his head, and the fervent prayers of his mother still thrilled in his heart. And his influence, after the lapse of many guilty years, brought back the prodigal, a penitent and a child of God, elevated him to be one of the highest ornaments of the Christian church and to guide many sons and daughters of glory. What a forcible comment is this upon the power of maternal influence. If you want a copy of this, I'll print all 189 pages. (laughs) What does motherly love produce? Eternal fruit. The likes of which we probably will never see in this world, in this life. But all the more we lean into the motherly love. We let God's power flow through us. We become vulnerable so that his power might become known in the world through us. Both biological and spiritual mothering must happen so that God's eternal mark might wake its way on many. Mothers of all kinds, thank you for allowing God's power to flow through you. Thank you for making eternal marks for good in this church, in the city, and in the schools of this city. Thank you for long suffering, often silently and without praise or fanfare, as you do the work of expressing God's motherly love in His world. We all experienced a flash fire over the last two years the likes of which I hope we never see again. But the fire always reveals the character of love being expressed. Today I want to celebrate the quality of the love I've seen in Sedaris. Particularly amongst the moms, but also amongst all of us who are doing the work of discipleship. I've seen motherly love expressed in the sacrifice of being great at my job so that I could be great as a mom. I've seen the motherly love expressed in the sacrifice of giving up fruitful careers so that I might meet the demands of my children. I've seen motherly love expressed in the sacrifice of promotion and pay increases to maintain or strengthen the healthy rhythms of life at home. I've seen motherly love expressed in those who stepped into motherless homes through either becoming a foster parent or being a part of a foster care support team. 
I've seen motherly love expressed in those who volunteer in our kids' ministry to help sacrifice a Sunday worship experience for themselves to build into and disciple up my kids and other kids in this church. I've seen motherly love expressed in the opening up of homes and exposing oneself to the risks of COVID so that you might pour out love and be connected to others who need someone to help curb the loneliness that we've experienced. I've seen motherly love expressed at alpha table leaders who open up 10 weeks in a row to give up time to prepare a space so that people might be known and heard and loved. I've seen motherly love expressed in countless one-on-ones, whether spiritually hungry, spiritually lost, spiritually hurting, spiritually confused, self-harming of this city would have the arms of Christ wrap around them through one of you. And I could go on and on. And in every single one of these scenarios, for every one of you who takes serious this responsibility to express God's motherly love in the world, in this dark and dreary world, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. God says thank you for helping the world know about me. So don't stop chasing motherly love. Become more like Jesus. Don't stop chasing the vulnerable. Don't stop letting God and his power flow through you to create and care for others. Keep making the choice to surrender your ultimate personal freedom for the eternal benefit of another. And uh, that's where my sermon stopped last night at midnight when I stopped writing. And then as I was laying there in bed, which often happens, God said, you forgot to say one thing about motherly love. So I may get in trouble here. I think it's true. So I always, I promise, I'll always say something that's true, even if it gets me in trouble at home. There's one quality of motherly love that I hope you know, especially if you don't know God yet. If you don't have a relationship with God and you don't understand this about God, I want to make sure you hear this. So listen close. This is true of God, and I see it most in a mother's love. God's love is often irrational. It doesn't make sense. It does strange things. That's God's love for you. You can think about the cross all you want, and it will never make total sense. It's not rational. You don't deserve it. It's a bit wacky. But that's how much God loves you. Let's pray.